Hello, my name is Samira Franklin. I am a lifelong resident of West Baltimore. I currently live in Sandtown, Winchester, and um, I'm excited to be here. The church that we're currently in, I literally, for a year, I walk past this church every day going to school. Um, my grandmother lives right in the well, her house. We still own the house, our family, um, right on the corner, just a block away. So um, this neighborhood is, it is truly my neighborhood. Um, we're in Upton area but all of this the excuse me the neighborhoods in West Baltimore are very close you know you go over a block go over a block excuse me and it's another neighborhood so um, it's funny in that way but um, I'm a lifelong resident of West Baltimore like I said I'm a third generation Orthodox Muslim and um, that has definitely helped to shape uh, my identity in Baltimore and um, can you describe what your role is like in your family, your neighborhood, community? Like what, how do you see yourself and what does that look like? Well, I've always been a leader. Um, and I guess that started in my family. I'm the third oldest of 10. Um, yeah, sorry, I have to realize. Oh, it's 10 of us now. I have a younger brother who's two. Um, so it's 10 of us, and I'm the third oldest, but it's always been like I'm the oldest. So I've always uh, led the charge. Um, and even in my community, um, I've always been an advocate. And uh, looking back, I see things that I didn't realize. Certain things I was just charged to do. Um, when I talk about walking to school every uh, day, you know, walking past just this church that we're in now every day. Um, when I was going to the school down the street, Utah Marshburn Elementary School, um, there was my first year there. I was there for fifth grade. And I, they, we didn't have stalls on the bathroom door. There were no stall doors on the bathroom. And um, so kids had already been there, going there for years. My first year, I come and I'm like, what is going on? Um, all of my friends were standing in front of the doors, uh, kind of shielding so no one could see. And, you know, everybody would take turns standing in front of the door for, um, to give each other privacy. And I was just immediately, like, immediately taken back, like, what is going on here? And they said, oh, we don't have stalls. Um, and I think they even said an excuse, like, oh, because of issues that we were had. It was no real reason. Um, so I was immediately, I went to my teacher, charged, what is going on? We have to do something. And so right then and there, I wrote a, <laughs> a long um, letter to my principal uh, advocating for the girls and the boys um, to have souls. And it was just one of those things where it never occurred to me that um, nobody else felt motivated to take action or I went home and I told my mom and she was like well what are you going to do you know and um, she really engaged me and I was like well we things have to change and um, I planned a meeting with the principal all these different things but it was just me being me so and there were stalls and there were stalls and the principal we had like an assembly and she uh read the letter that was like a little embarrassing she mm -hmm. read the letter mm -hmm. um and I was just uh you know I'm like gosh was this not normal what happened here um but she you know she she was proud and my teacher was proud and it was just a moment it was a moment and um I think that solidified something in me right then and there I stood up for all of the student body you know and it really brought about change and um that's a lesson that I learned young and I'm really grateful for you know those kinds of lessons um 
because that, you know, kind of shaped the work that I did. I knew I could change things at my school. I knew I, when I went out and outside in my community, I could change things, and it just reinforced that. Um, and that's been the work that I've been trying to do. Great. Um, and you've already described one story, but uh, what are some things you're most proud of that you've accomplished in your work or in your neighborhood? I am most proud of the young people that we've trained in leadership development and, um, you know, power building and things like that. You know, even if uh, those young people do not become activists or community organizers, things like that, um, at the end of the day, they have concrete tools um, that, you know, they are able to take with them other places, you know, to be a leader being taught how to be a leader, how to stand up for yourself, how to affect change, um, organize money and organize people equal power. You know, that is just powerful in itself. And, you know, even if you don't want to take that in your community, you can take that anywhere in the world, in any field, and you will be able, you will be able to, excuse me, um, utilize that and, you know, use it to your advantage. So just teaching young people um, strategies and tools that, you know, they can take with them anywhere in the world. I'm very proud of that. How do you find the young people? Or like, do they volunteer? Well, like, do you recruit uh, them? Like, how does that work? We are partnering with the Jubilee Arts Center. Um, they are located at uh, the top of Pennsylvania Avenue. Oh, well, in the middle, but the top uh, closer to the Upton area. Mm -hmm. You know, as we kind of head out of Upton, closer to Penn North, um, the, I'm telling you, there's literally blocks and things <laughs> change. It's one block and it's another neighborhood. But um, right before the Triangle Park, there's Jubilee Arts that sits on the corner, and they are a very good resource to the community. They uh, offer school programming, all those different things. Um, but they had a partnership with uh, Youth Works. So young people, they were employed in the first year. I was actually one of the students. So I was picked as a youth worker uh, to come and paint murals in the summertime. Um, and it was, you know, it was a very good experience. We painted a mural, very beautiful mural, but uh, that's not for me. <laughs> you know, I'm a little artsy, but it was very hard for me. <laughs> so, you know, I'm more on the other side. Uh, part of the programming in the afternoons when it was too hot to work, young people would come indoors and we would have um, different sessions. So one of the sessions was a power building and, you know, and leadership development course that was taught by, uh, you know, uh, fellow leaders over at Build and um, No Boundaries Coalition. And they, you know, in that experience, I was able to put into words, you know, my experience, because this is in 2015. So I had just graduated high school, uh, it was the summertime, and it was directly after Freddie Gray, uh, his murder and the subsequent unrest. Um, so during that time, Nobody was debriefing with young people in Baltimore. So it was very unique that we had this uh, session and they wanted to talk to us and they wanted to talk to us about a moment in our lives where things changed or when we felt, you know, when we felt motivated or angry or, you know, all these different things. And I was able to, in that session, um, for the first time, talk about my experience with the unrest and um, talk about, you know, you know, me realizing that as I was currently out during that time, I worked down in Harbor East um, in Fells Point and, excuse me, not in Fells Point, in Harbor East, like I said, um, at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And um, we were unaware of anything that was going on because 
everything around us looked fine. I didn't see one police officer. I didn't see anything. It was the city as normal. And um, they told us, though, that we would have to close the restaurant early and everyone was heading out. And still, we're in a restaurant and it has all glass windows and we're looking outside and I see nothing. Um, and as I, you know, my stepdad came to, got, came to get me from work as we got onto 83 and I lived, I, I lived literally three blocks away from Penn North. So the CVS that was, you know, on TV burning, I'm, I live three blocks away. Um, so we are getting onto 83 and I see a line, a big line of police and, um, you know, law enforcement and they have barricades and sandbags and all these different things. And they are like barricading off Harbor East. And then I realized, you know, as we're getting onto 83, we're driving into the eye of the storm. And that's just where I live. That's where I live. So in that moment, it just let me know, you know, my my neighborhood does not matter in Baltimore because they're here barricading off the harbor. And my in my neighborhood, things were literally set ablaze. So, um... That was the first time I was able to even put that story into words and really describe the cold anger or the rage that I felt in that moment. And then what slowly was developing into this cold anger and I just wanted to do something. Um, and, you know, throughout that session, uh, we had, you know, we were able to talk about a lot. But um, like I said, I'm not artsy. It's kind of hard for me. Um, so the very next year, I ended up working for No Boundaries Coalition and build, and I was able to teach the session. <laughs> so um, a year later, we had done so much work. I had I was actually offered a position with No Boundaries Coalition and build, and uh, we started to develop what was what was called BIOP, Baltimore Youth Organizing Project, and we were able to do it a lot in the city. But that is kind of how it all came about. It came from a summer job and just people. Uh, who cared. They were, you know, really trying to um, make a difference for young people in Baltimore. And um, it's the right place, right time. What have you seen change since that time in your neighborhood? Um, and what have you been a part of in terms of creating that change? Well, we've done a lot in reference to um, young people. Uh, we've definitely solidified funding for young people throughout the city and um, even other programs that people people don't even necessarily know about. When we were on the fight for after-school funding and community school uh, programming and all that, all that funding that was being cut, you, when we went, we started to going to, excuse me, we started going to the city council and um, built literally. When we had, we were down at a church, um, I forget the name of the church, but it's directly across from City Hall. And we were there and it was a delegation. So there was one person that lived in the zip code of the, you know, of the council person's district. And it was a young person that went with them. And they had, they had literally paperwork. Hey, these are the cuts. This is where it's being cut from. You know, this is what it's supposed to be. This is a, an adult who lives in your district. And so we are getting out the vote. You know, it matters. And this is a young person letting you know that these things are important. And, um, a lot of the council didn't even know of the cuts. They didn't. They weren't really aware of what was going on. So we definitely made them aware. And um, after that, you know, we it was an all-out battle to uh, get the money back. Mm -hmm. But through that, we were able to get so much funding for other programs as well. So there was a million dollars being cut from Safe Streets. Um, 
we were able to, you know, make sure that that money was restored and other other funds. Um, people will never know, but you know, because of the fight for after school funding, so much uh, was also been so many other institutions and um, areas of the city benefited. Um, so that has definitely been great. And then, of course, as I walk through the neighborhood. All the drug dealers know me because I registered them to vote. Like, you know, so <laughs> it's the different things that you're known for in your city. Um, even some of them, like, I may have gone to elementary school with some of these people or middle school. And, you know, and just knowing that my peers know me uh, if for, for positive is always, of course, rewarding. And then, of course, other generations, you know, um, in our city. The older generations that I've uh, done the, done stuff with or worked for, you know, serviced. It's just being known in the city as part of the solution is just, you know, it's very rewarding. Um, and it's just a, it's a good place to be. You know, you want to know you're on the right side, of course. So um, trying to do the work to make sure you stay on the right side is definitely what I do. But um, that's where I want to be. And you're a mother, you said. Yes, I'm a mom. Uh, I have a two-year-old. <laughs> I met her dad doing the work, honestly. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, he was an outreach where he's an out. Well, he did outreach. He doesn't. He's not in outreach anymore. But um, he worked with a program called U-Turns. So I uh, was working with um, University of Maryland and all these other uh, entities that were part of the Recast West Baltimore uh, grant, basically. SAMHSA is, excuse me, Substance Abuse Mental Health um, and, I don't know, something else, agency. But, you know, it's a it's a, a federal institution, and then they hand out all the monies to the cities who had experienced unrest. So if you had experienced unrest within uh, the last 18 months, you are eligible for all of these funds. And Baltimore wanted to receive the funds, so uh, we were all doing this work to try and get everything going for the grant. And um, it was everybody at the table, though. We were, you know... The grant came out, and um, it was going to be business as usual. You know, these larger institutions come swoop in and say, okay, we'll get the money, and we'll delve it up. up." And um, it was just some strategic people who said, we can't do it this way. You know, we have to do something different. So uh, when those funds uh, were, well, before they were actually rolled out, um, when we were still trying to get the whole grant application together, there was a whole community at Penn North Library and we were all working on um, trying to make sure that the wording was right and everything like that. And then also just create this community space. So um, during that process, um, I was able to work with the University of Maryland and we did this uh, needs assessment. So, you know, No Boundaries had already assessed the needs of our community. We listened to over 400 young people just alone um, trying to figure out what it is that they want in the community, what do they need, and, you know, what do young people uh, feel is necessary for them to be successful in our our, uh, city. Um, But so we comprised all of those things, and, you know, different community entities had done uh, different versions of their needs assessments or one-on-ones, different things like that. So we pulled all of that together and we, you know, comprised all of that data. I worked with a doctor, Dr. Kyla uh, Liggett Creole at University of Maryland. My daughter's name is Kyla. Mm-hmm. She's truly a mentor for me. And um, I love her name. I gave it to my daughter. <laughs> but um, through that work, you know, 
there was um, the needs assessments that were comprised, and it was just all this just this wealth of data that we had collected. And um, there was someone from BHSB that came to, uh, you know, uh, these meetings. And she, I remember her name was Emily. Um, and she was, you know, hey, Samira, you know, we're working on something as well for the, uh, you know, we basically we need the same data as you guys. And, you know, all the data that we comprised, we sent it over to her. And uh, that data was used to apply for a very similar grant um, from SAMHSA. Um, and that grant has um, funded U-turns. Now, I don't know if they're still, you know, funded from that grant, but that grant funded U-turns. And a year later, my husband was employed by U-turns. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I have to kind of, <laughs> I have to, you know, bring about this before it was what it was. And um, and one day I was in the kid zone. We were doing a, a meeting mm-hmm. with, um, the you know all these different entities that were working in West Baltimore doing outreach, um, and so we were at the Kids Safe Zone. His mom is actually Erica Austin, and um, she so that she you know she was over at Penn North doing care work, and she had opened the Kids Safe Zone for kids after the unrest. And um, Safe Safe Streets at the time, excuse me, had you know partnered with a few institutions, and they were tra- they had actually trained um, the U turns workers and everything like that. And I was at the meeting, I saw my husband, and he's Muslim, and um, we ended up going to lunch after, and, you know, it was all that was wrote. That? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then after, I told him, like, you know, Emily, you're, yeah, you're, like, one of your supervisors or something like that, because I would see her at meetings, and I'm like, I remember you, you asked me for data, and, oh, wait, that's how all of this came, and it was just so funny that the work that you do, you know, doing good work, it has brought me good, it has mm-hmm. brought me a lot of good, so um, I'm happy. Great. Um, good story. Thank Long you. story, but no, yes. Good. Um, turn down a little more. I think I'm going down. So, I'm just looking, I want to ask you just other questions about all you've already told me, but, um, I think, what do you want, this is an interesting question, but what do you want other people to know about your neighborhood? You know, let's say they're not even from Baltimore or, um, yeah. and kind of what, with that, like, what's your vision for other things you'd like to see here in, in your neighborhood? Um, I, w- I would like people to know that um, being submerged and in an environment that is, you know, it's very hard to survive um, for long, ex- long, you know, in extended periods of time, like a lifetime, you know, it changes you. You're you become a different kind of you know human being, and um, that is very unique to Baltimore. Um, in our city, you know, it is not hard to be. I mean, excuse me, it is not easy to be a Baltimorean, and um, every day you are faced with you know a challenge. Are you going to be a part of the solution or part of the problem? So um, people ex- used to ask me all the time. Oh, when you get older, when you do, with all your genius, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay in Baltimore or are you going to leave? Um, am I going to leave Baltimore to the heathens? You know, like, you know, that's that's how they would say it to me. Like, are you going to stay here or are you going to get out of this place? You know, basically kick this popsicle stand. And I'm like, you know, if there's so much bad here, why would I leave my hometown to be just consumed by it? Um, you know, this is where God has placed my family, you know, um, and I just, I just believe that this is where I am supposed to do my work. Um, but, you know, with that being said, you know, Baltimore is not an easy place to live. You know, it is not for the weak. 
So, you know, um, trying to do everything that you want to do, like, you know, reach your goals and um, be successful, all those different things. When there are layers and layers on top, it's not as easy, you know. It becomes about literally everyday survival. So when you're, you know, when you're just stuck trying to survive, um, of course, that, you know, that leaves you somewhat stagnant. So, I mean, even for my peers, um, I see so many people that I grew up with and um, they just are where they are. They have either been, you know, some have been murdered, you know, some are, of course, incarcerated, some are, you know, of course, just living um, the unfortunate life of a Baltimorean at times. So, um, I know that, you know, there have just been... There have been very um, strategic, um, excuse me, there have been very strategic uh, events that have occurred, you know, that have just avoid, that I've been able to avoid that. But, you know, anybody can succumb to the to this life. So, but that being said, um, you know, have compassion. Have compassion. When you want to, you know, this is just an... Um, an idea from my religion, you know, when you want to measure what you have, look to those who have less than you, not more, you know, because it just reinforces that things could be worse. So I try to always do that. But at the very same time, you know, it is easy to be an outsider and um, say, you know, there's just so much, you could say gun violence in Baltimore. There's so much gun violence in Baltimore and, you know, um, be so disgusted, you know, torn, you know, heartbroken, different things like that. Um, but at the very same time, understanding that violence begets violence. So once one person is murdered, doesn't, you know, if your loved one is taken away from you, are you not in some ways charged, you know, or do you not feel that feeling of revenge, you know, that will uh, rise in you? So understanding that Baltimore is a traumatized city and, you know, this has been strategic. This has been strategic. This has not been um, by accident. The powers to be have kept uh, West Baltimore or, you know, certain parts of East Baltimore, you know, the way that they are. I remember um, working on a project about redlining and stuff like that. And there was an article, um, but it was basically, it was quoting the mayor of 1910, um, and I forget who the mayor's name was, but uh, it was the mayor of Baltimore in 1910. He said that blacks should be confined into isolated slums. And that is exactly what has been done. And we're in 2021. And black people in Baltimore have been confined to, you know, our small isolated slums. And that hasn't changed, you know. Um, even in West Baltimore, when it was a thriving and vibrant community after uh, the riots of, I believe, 68, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Baltimore was never the same, or West Baltimore was never the same, but understanding that things have to be rebuilt. If they're never strategically rebuilt, we never had a dollar home program, you know what I mean? And Federal Hill, when they wanted to revive that area. Uh, dollar homes came in and all these different things. So when 
when things are strategically not done to starve out a community. You can't go in West Baltimore, uh, let's say Pennsylvania Avenue, and have somewhere to eat, play, worship, and live. You know what I mean? You have somewhere to live, the projects. If you want something to eat, there is a fried chicken spot that's owned by some other, you know, some other culture or race, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, you know, there is nowhere to play. You know, there's no enjoyment. Or we have Shake and Bake, you know, that has in recent years been um, revitalized. But even still, you know, there's just, there is a lot that is missing from our community. And it's been on purpose. And that is why we don't have a uh, this sense of wholeness and fullness in the community because it truly is lacking. So you were saying you went to how many different schools? So I went to 10 schools in 12 years. Um, I can name them, like seriously. Uh, I went to Firm, well, I went to Firm L. Templeton. That was my first public school. And then from there, um, I went to Liberty Elementary. And I feel like I transferred in the middle of the school year one of those years. So, so like for a few years, I went to two schools in a row, two schools in one year. That's how it happened for the 10 and 12. But um, I went to Fermanel Templeton, Liberty Elementary. Um, and then I went to also a, two private Muslim schools. So New Medina Academy and as well as um, uh, Islamic Community School on North Avenue. My grandparents actually helped to start that school back in like the 70s. Um, and that's the oldest Muslim school in uh, the country. But um, yeah. So I went there, and from there I went to, um, I keep make sure I'm counting. So I went to mm-hmm. Fermanel, I went to Liberty, New Medina, and ICS. Um, I also went to Utah Marshburn. I went to Booker T. Washington. Um, that was my first year of middle school. And then for seventh grade, I went to Lock Raven Academy um, in Towson. And that was, like, one of the best years in school. I was like, wow, we can learn here? You know, they're going to actually teach us, number one. And it's not really embarrassing to know the answers. This is great. This is great. And then my mom told me that, you know, seventh grade determines what high school you go to. And I'm like, okay, I got to get to a good high school. So um, that was a good year for me. Um, After that, I went to Francis Scott Key um, when I moved back to the city. Um... And I went to Western, and I have to be missing a school because clearly. So why did why did you move schools so much? I moved around so much, <laughs> so it was always another school because it was another neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes, like I said, you see Utah Marshburn is there, from and that was just a few blocks away. Yeah. But within these neighborhoods in West Baltimore, you're only a few blocks away. Now it's another school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I know so many people. I've seen so many people. It's just a lot. Um, but yeah and you were saying a little bit about like oh yeah western i could go to the same school in a row that was the first year Mm -hmm. my mom came to me you know the summertime and she was like um you know next year you'll be at western again wow this if you i don't know if you know i was like oh ma'am i know this will be the first year i go to (laughs) you know a school a year in a row it's you ridiculous. Said your attendance wasn't good. Why? Not? My attendance was horrible um, at Western. I mean, all throughout school, I've always been late to school, um, and there was really no like assistance from my mom to like help me get to school. It was kind of like, um, you know, once you get, listen, you're gonna get to 18. When you get there, <laughs> you might have to get out. <laughs> 
depending on how you're doing. So, you know, it was just kind of, we fit, I kind of fend for myself, fend for myself. But um, I was always a middle child. So my mom and my dad had five kids, and then my mom and stepdad had five more. But um, I'm the third oldest, so, you know, I'm number three out of five. I was always in the middle, so I've been super independent. And um, that's just been the way it was. I kind of, I raised myself in a way. I did raise myself, but I've always had to, like, speak up for myself and all those kinds of things. So, of course, that shaped me. Um, but my attendance, like I said, at Western was horrible. Um, they used to send, trust me, they used to send letters at home. To, you know, your they would send letters to my mother. You will be called into truancy court. Mm-hmm. You know, if your child misses one more day of school, you will be in jail. You know, you will be in court. Things like that. And it never mattered to her. Um, she was caught up in the things that she was doing. Granted, my mom did work full time, and my dad wasn't. You know, as present as present, excuse me, as he could have been after they kind of got divorced, and probably after I was like age eleven. Um, there was a span of time where he was going through a lot and, you know, it just was what it was. But, um, at Western, they kept me pretty much exclusively for my test scores. Um, I would get 90s, 90-somethings on my HSAs and stuff like that, standardized tests. So, they kept me for my test scores. And I didn't, I realized it. And I was like, yeah, they're keeping me for my test scores. That was it. Because um, my attendance was horrible, my grades were horrible. I was failing out. It was I almost failed high school, and they put me through. They just pushed me through. Um, but there was also no one trying to help me. Like, what is going on with you? I moved out in high school. I didn't even live with my mom. At by the time a month after I turned seventeen, that was my senior year. So my birthday's in October. School started in August. I turned um, 17 in October, and by November, I was out. And I moved in with my ex, and um, and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it was just me being grown up. I had to grow up. There was no, there was just no future for me in my mom's house. And um, I was with my ex, and we moved out, and it was what it was. Um, from there on, I've been a grown-up. <laughs> I've been a grown-up. But not only a grown up, but doing all this great work. Yeah, so what, right. This what was motivates you my youth work. work's money was paying my real bills. Like you know, I was working a summer job and also working another job at the restaurant, uh, Nando's. Um sorry, I'm probably not gonna say, say their name. But yeah, uh, I was working um at all these different places and um it was to pay my real bills and really survive. Um so that's probably why I was in a different position than other young people I was just I was truly you know more mature and like a little bit grown up I got it a little bit more I'm like lord you know they start looting like come down to my house you know I had and there was you know perspective you know what I mean like when when things go bad you know and our city is just allowed to just be overrun by chaos it's not okay you know and and truly though it is not necessarily an unnatural thing like you know that's why we have law and order because people can be chaotic Mm-hmm. But that is not the way a city should be run, you know. A city is an institution, high, high level functioning institution, and they are just allowing our part of the city because of, you know, our color, our, you know, our median income, all these different things. We are just, you know, being left without any order and, you know, things like that. So, so I was asking. You have a daughter. What do you want for her for the future? Like, if you could envision 
like I hope this neighborhood or I hope Baltimore looks like this, feels like this for yeah. her. What would that be? For Kyla, um, that's so hard because, you know, I, already uh, with my daughter, just things that I know, of course, I, her path has not been necessarily easy. Um, and she is a fighter. But I would not want her to have to fight the way I've had to fight for basic things in, you know, in your neighborhood. Um, I would like for her to have a good school to go to. You know, right now, that is, of course, one of my main things on my, on my mind. She's two, she'll be three in April. Um, so her education is, is, is like right there. You know, she's at the age where she's either going to go to daycare or school and then there's programming and things like that. It matters. There's the environment. There's just so much. And, um, there's just, our, my neighborhood is not e equipped to educate my daughter. Um, one of the things that she needs to be educated on, you know, she can she can learn some hard lessons in West Baltimore, but she can't necessarily go to a West Baltimore school and get the best education that she can. So, um, I would like for there to be that space for her to grow up, and you know, she not have the war scars that I have. You know, um, it's just not necessary. I would have been me regardless of some of the things that I've experienced. You know. I just know the other side of it. I still want the good of it, you know, education-wise, living, all these different things. I still want the good of life, but I've seen the ugly and the bad. It wasn't necessarily necessary, you know? It gives me perspective, like I said, but at the very same time, within my religion, I've always been taught when you measure, look to those who have less than you. So I always had that, you know, impression Um and I just, you know, I would want to spare her some of what I've seen. Um, you know, your friends die, literally. In 2017, we were so motivated and so charged to do so much. But on the very first day of 2017, one of my childhood friends that I, you know, down in Utah Marshburn, we played in the rec center together. He went, he visited my house. We actually lived on the same 1600 block of division, just one block away. We lived there. We played, um... That is crazy because my mom lives in his house now. His house that, you know, it was apartments at the time. Um, my mom lives there now. Uh, it's not apartments anymore. It's just, you know, they've made it into a regular three-story again. But he was murdered on the first day of 2017. And that is heartbreaking, you know. Even though we weren't as close as we were and, you know, I see him in passing and things like that. Um, that's somebody who you still share memories with and they're gone. And that just is never easy. So I would want to, of course, like I said, spare her some of the hard, the hard, the hardness of, like I said, being a Baltimorean. Mm -hmm. I would like for being a Baltimorean to be a pleasant thing, and um, and not have so much heartache attached to it. Yeah. You're an amazing person. <laughs> it makes me emotional hearing you speak. Thanks for being open, sharing. Um, well, I want to respect your time, too. Is there anything else pressing that you would like to say? We can always something get back to Something about Kyla that you said. Um, it was something about being in the neighborhood. Um, I talked about the education. Of course, that's an mm -hmm. issue. Oh, the safety. safety. Of course, the like safety. Her being able to play on a playground and yes. do not be. Yeah, I don't. I've helped build playgrounds in West Baltimore, you know, and it's like.
not necessarily would I necessarily take my child well of course I take my child there with me you know but I'm very um it just makes me like overly protective of her and um I don't want her to grow up that way Uh, you know she should be able to thrive in our community um the way I was you know in some ways able to Mm -hmm. in some ways um and then, of course, things have, you know, things just have changed. Things have changed so much in Baltimore. Um, it's becoming a ghost town. It's literally becoming a ghost town between people dying and just the vacant houses and our population. I don't know what Baltimore will look like when it is time for her to inherit the city, but that is the work that I'm trying to do, you know, to shore up the city. You now, make it worth um living and worth holding on to. And like I said, this is where my family has been for a few generations now. Kyla's a fourth generation Muslim, so that doesn't happen a lot in Baltimore. I probably know like one or two other families that have that, you know, strong history. Um, But, you know, other than that, it's not often. And um, I just feel like this is where we are. And my mom, you know, she has always taught me that as a Muslim woman, if you are going to leave your home every day, you should be going out and helping as many people as you can. And that's what I would like to also imprint, imprint on her, you know, um, that that uh, feeling of being obligated to serve others. It is not about you, ma'am. You know, if you do the greater good, it will come back to you. But it is not about you. So that's what I would, of course, um, like to imprint on her and have her go out and, you know, make a change in the world. Mm-hmm.